the works we do are often our number one witness in the world. So I think that's all very important. Now, uh, we just got done talking about the fact that Jesus spent six times longer as a carpenter than he did as a preacher. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came as a worker. Jesus came and worked. And in his mind, he glorified God just as much through the tables and chairs he made as he did through the sermons he preached. Now, I want to look specifically at a couple of the scriptures about Jesus. And John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So Jesus is pointing out the fact, and it's no surprise to us, if the Father is a worker, then Jesus is going to be a worker. Um, my Father has been working until now, and I have been working. And, but the Amplified, I love the way the Amplified Bible renders that. The Amplified Bible says, My Father has worked even until now. He has never ceased working. He is still working, and I too must be at divine work. And then in John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus said, I must, everybody say must. must. I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man or no one can work. See, to Jesus, work was not an option. It was what He was born to do. He was born to be productive. He was born to accomplish. He was born to do those works which God had prepared beforehand for him to walk in. And uh, so, how, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever prayed, God, make me more like Jesus? Let me see your hand. You've ever prayed. It is hard to... Pastor John, I, I would think every Christian should have prayed that at some time. Make me more like Jesus. Because the Bible says that that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. The whole goal of life is to be more like Jesus. And so, do you know one of the things you're praying for? Maybe you didn't even realize this, but when you pray, God, make me more like Jesus, you know what you're praying? God, make me a worker. Because Jesus was committed to work. He was committed to doing the Father's will. And... Um, uh, we, one thing we should understand is that Jesus is still working today. How many of you know that when Jesus ascended into heaven, that was not called retirement? You say, but he sat down. Well, sometimes you work sitting down. Uh, let me tell you five ways that Jesus is still working today. This is not in your notes, but uh, Jesus is working today as our advocate we have an advocate with the Father. And really, three dimensions of that. He's our advocate, he's our intercessor, and he's our high priest. If Jesus weren't still working today, then I don't know how we'd have what he accomplished in the past. Because he continually mediates today through his being our advocate, intercessor, and high priest. That which he purchased when he went to Calvary. Uh, he works today as our inter advocate, intercessor, and high priest. Jesus still works today as our healer. 
Aren't you glad he's our healer? Jesus works today as our shepherd. Aren't you glad we don't have to just say the Lord was David's shepherd? We get to say the Lord is my shepherd because he's still working as our shepherd. Uh, He is still working today as the head of the church. And he's still working today as our perfecter. He's the author and perfecter of our faith or the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is still working today. Now, we said this a minute ago, countless Christians have prayed, God, please help me be more like Jesus. And what we need to realize is that when a person prays that way, among other things, they're asking God to help them be a worker. Now, let's go ahead and zero, and we've talked about the fact that God is a worker, Jesus is a worker. Let's, let's identify man as a worker. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, if it hadn't been for Adam and Eve messing up in the garden, we wouldn't have to work. Because of them, we have to work. Can I tell you something? We were going to work anyway. Now, what they did was they made our work more difficult. They made our work, yeah, toil. They made it more complicated. They added some sweat to the work. Uh, But work was part of the original plan. Uh, Man was given work before the fall of man. Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That's the first job description. The word tend here literally means to work. God put man in the garden to work it. If you look at other translations of the Bible, it translates it to cultivate it, to work it. One translation even says to farm it, to farm it. And the word keep here, to tend and keep the garden... The word keep here means to protect, to protect it. And guess what? Adam fell down on the job, didn't he? Because when the serpent came in and began to do damage, Adam, you know. Have you seen that commercial uh, that's out now? Uh, I'm not a security guard. I'm just a security monitor. I don't actually do anything about it. I just let you know there's a robbery. Hey, there's a robbery. You know, that was about how effective Adam was, all right? He, he was supposed to be a farmer and a security guard. William Bennett, how many of you remember him from the Reagan administration? He is Secretary of Education. William Bennett wrote, work is applied effort. It is whatever we put ourselves into, whatever we expend our energy on for the sake of accomplishing or achieving something. Work in this fundamental sense is not what we do for a living, but what we do with our living. Work is not what we do for a living, but it's what we do with our living. If if our work, if we work and we're just doing it for a paycheck, I, I really think we're falling way short. Thank God for the paycheck. But I think we're falling way short of what our understanding of work should be. We should work because we want to glorify God. We should work because we want to serve humanity. We should work because we want to fulfill a God-given, God-created purpose for our lives. John Stott, who was a British minister, defined work as, and this is his quote, the expenditure of energy, and he, he delineated manual or mental or both, in the service of others. 
which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. You know, if you have somebody, if you take your car in and a mechanic's going to work on it, do you just want some guys that's there for a paycheck? Or would you rather have a guy working on it that's doing it? Man, he's going to fix your car for the glory of God and because he wants to be a blessing to you and that type of thing. You know, if you have a, a, a doctor that's going to help you with some medical thing, you just want some guy that's doing it for a paycheck because he's got student loans to fulfill. Or do you want a guy... Or do you want a guy who says, God, I believe you've called me to this. You've given me the ability for this. God, I'm going to help minister healing to these people for your glory and so they can have a great life. And, you know, life is just so much better when people do things for the glory of God. Somebody came up, a lady came up during the break and said, you know, work is worship. And, and that's a great insight. Work is worship. When, when we, when our work is seen as an act of worship, man, we're going to do it great. And, and I didn't say we worship our work. That's, there's a big difference between worshiping work and working as worship unto God. Big difference. But the Bible says whatever we do, we should do for the glory of God. There's a great verse in Colossians 1. I'm going to read this to you from the message version. It says, be assured from the first day that we heard it, heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. See, God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. That last phrase is rich. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. So we should work like God works. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have heard the phrase, have you ever looked on, how many, anybody here take some vitamins? Do you look on the side of the vitamin bottle and it'll, it'll say uh, minimum daily requirement? Minimum daily requirement. And I'm not a big nutrition expert, but what they're saying by that is that's the bare minimum of what you need. And what if we applied bare, uh, minimum daily requirement to our lives? For example, Lisa and I, today is June the 4th, is that right? On June the 2nd, just two days ago, Lisa and I celebrated our 37th anniversary. Thank you very much. And, um, and I really didn't say that for applause, but, but, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but what if we had stepped to the altar 37 years ago, and, and maybe even before we got to the altar, and I said, Lisa, just, I just want to know before we get married, what is the minimum daily requirement? What is the minimum daily requirement of attention that you need from me? What's the bare minimum that I have to do? What, what's the minimum daily requirement of help that I need to do around the house? Just to, What's my minimum daily requirement? And um, uh, 
you know, what's the minimum daily requirement of how many times I need to tell you I love you and things like that, do something, say something romantic? What's the bare minimum I can do and still be married to you? And, and by the way, when we have kids, uh, what's the minimum daily requirement of diapers that I need to change and, you know, help picking up things? What, I just want to know before we get married, what's the bare minimum I need to do in, in this marriage? Guess what? We wouldn't be celebrating 37 years. We wouldn't have celebrated one year. We wouldn't have gotten married. And, you know, what would you think of, of a husband that had that attitude? You know, what's the bare, what's the minimum daily requirement? And, you know, you could apply that to anything. What if you were applying for a job and you said, you know, what's, what's the bare minimum that I have to do to work for this company? I mean, they just be—they just couldn't wait to hire you, right? <laughs> but notice this phrase: as you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad that God never looked at humanity and said, "What's the bare minimum I have to do?" What's the bare minimum? Do you know Jesus didn't do the bare minimum? He did the absolute maximum. That's our example. And this verse is not in your, um, in your notes, but Colossians 3, you might just jot this down, Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Again, the message version says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. Don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, God confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being Christian doesn't cover up for bad work. That's pretty powerful. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, we, we've kind of talked a lot, and, and I hope you're thinking of ways in your, you know, your everyday work that you can apply this. Um, just, you know, if you're a mechanic, be the best mechanic you can be. If you're a, an accountant, be the best accountant you can be. Uh, work for God. I like what um, Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, even as Shakespeare wrote poetry or Beethoven composed music. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will uh, pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Man, we can glorify God in everything that we do, everything that we put our hand to. Um, but I want to I kind of shift gears and focus this a little bit toward our Christian work, our spiritual work in the church. Not that our other work can't be spiritual, because it can, because it's motivated from our spirit. It's motivated from a desire to glorify God and to live a life that speaks of God's glory and God's excellence. But um, I want to talk about 
the fact that as Christians, uh, as believers, we have responsibilities toward one another. Uh, we have responsibilities to serve one another. And to, uh, you know, I, I, the whole idea of volunteering in the church. And, 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 and I think God wants us to do things that are kind of structured and disciplined. You know, where we volunteer and, you know, every week we show up at a certain time and do a certain thing. You know, whether it's ushering or working with the kids or music, audio, video, helping take care of the building. There's so many things. Outreach. There's just hundreds of different ways people can, in a systematic, disciplined way, uh, serve God. But then you know what? In addition to serving God through a formal position in the church, we can also just serve God spontaneously as we see different needs and and uh, and we can be a Christian witness anywhere and everywhere. So I don't think we just serve God only when we put on our usher badge, you know, and then when we take our usher badge off. Okay, I've done serving God for the week. Won't serve God again till next Sunday when I put the badge back on. I think we should, yeah, serve God when you have the badge on, but serve God when you have the badge off. We just have a mindset where we're just looking to serve, eager to serve, uh, things of that nature. And, and Paul said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You remember when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's, I know, it's no longer I that live. But no, notice what he said, but it's Christ that lives in me. It's Christ that lives in me. There's something about, and here's something to think about as a new creature in Christ. We have the privilege and the ability... In a sense, we work for God, but in another sense, we don't work for God. We let God energize through us. And, and you remember something that Jesus said, it's the Father in me who does the works. The Father in me does the works. So Paul said, it's Christ that lives in me. So in a sense, if I serve you, if I'm really doing this thing right... Jesus, through me, is serving you. I'm giving expression to Jesus on the inside of me. See, we are the body of Christ. So, whatever we the body do, Christ is doing. Christ is the head. We are the body. So, anytime that we serve, it's really the head serving through the body. If my head says, the bottle of water is there... I'm thirsty, I'd like a drink of water from the bottle that's on the pulpit. My head is telling me I want the drink, but my body has to walk over here and I have to, you know, use my hands and so on. When God wants to serve humanity, He does it through His body. And there's something so powerful about understanding that, that the privilege of, of being a child of God is that God lives on the inside of us. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So really, when we reach out and do something, it's really not us. It's really God doing it through us. But we are part of the equation um, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to make that sound all metaphysical or anything like that, but, but literally, uh, God works through us, 
but, but we have to do something for him to do something. All right? Now, I want to look at what maybe has been one of the more troubling verses of Scripture. And that is John chapter 14, verse 12. It's, it's one of the most challenging verses of Scripture. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 12, and this is in your notes, Jesus says, most assuredly, so double emphasis here. If you have King James, it says, verily, verily, I say unto you, meaning, you know, double emphasis. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Now, let's just stop right there. How many of us qualify? How many of us believe on him? All right. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. How many of you are are comfortable saying, we're just going to do a show of hands here. How many of you are comfortable saying, Brother Cook, I'm here this Saturday morning and I'm just happy to boldly and confidently testify. I am doing the works of Jesus Christ in the earth. Let me see your hand. You're very comfortable, confident saying that. You know, Pastor John, that's not bad. There's about a third, maybe a fourth of the people. Now, let's do the other part here. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. A fourth of you, maybe a third of you, raised your hand and say, you're doing the works of Jesus. How many of you can raise your hand and boldly and confidently say, and Brother Cook, I'm doing greater works than Jesus. Okay. In, in 10 minutes, you're going to have a totally different perspective than you have right now. All right? And let me share why. First of all, let's back up. What are the works of Jesus? Help me. What are the works that Jesus did? Healing the sick. Raising the dead. Preaching. Teaching. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. Lame to walk. Feeding the hungry. Liberty to the captives. Uh, Nobody's going to tell me he walked on water. He walked on water. All right. Turned water into wine. He did some pretty amazing works, didn't he? Calm storms. Man, took authority over nature. Calm storms. So Jesus did some pretty amazing works. So, so... A third of you said you're doing the works of Jesus. And nobody said you're doing greater work. Now, let's be honest. It'd be kind of harder to, hard to do anything greater than walking on water. Raising that. Kind of hard to beat that, isn't it? But you know what's interesting? Every time I've asked a, a, a group this question, what were the works of Jesus? The first, because there was a really wide spectrum, wasn't there? There was all the way... You know, some people said things like um, he set the captives free. He taught. He preached. Things that we can see. Uh, you know, what about uh, ministering mercy to people? Telling somebody, hey, God's not condemning you. Um, what about blessing little children? Those were all... See, we would call those kind of real basic, you know, kind of pretty relatable works. But... 
most people, when I ask that question, what were the works of Jesus, and especially getting into the what were the greater works, when we think especially of the, the what I'd kind of classify at the other end of the spectrum, the more spectacular works, raising the dead, healing the sick, um, uh, walking on water, calming the storm, those kind of blow our mind, don't they? I mean, we know God can do anything, and, and we may hear of occasional miracles, you know, that are really outstanding, but how many of you can be honest? I mean, those are kind of intimidating if you think that God's expecting you to do all that all the time, all right? I mean, we might kind of feel like, well, I'm not really measuring up, I'm, I'm not really doing the greater works than Jesus and that type of thing. So we can all kind of relate to the fact that, yeah, we're, we're all kind of doing maybe some of the, I've encouraged somebody. You know, I work in children's ministry, so I bless children too. Um, you know, maybe we've never taken a plate full of loaves and fish and prayed and they turn into enough food to five, feed 5,000. But maybe we bring some soup into the food pantry, you know, and we know we help feed some people that way and things of that nature. Let me just share with you a a take on this verse that may be a little bit different than the way you've perceived it in the past. And just think about it, see if you think this makes sense. If Jesus is saying that we're going to do greater quality works than he did, well, I'm out. Okay, because I haven't done greater quality works than he did. And I honestly, I don't see how anybody's going to do greater quality. I mean, what do you do greater quality than walking on water? You know, like, are you going to dance on water and that's going to be a greater work than, you know, if, if it's, if, if we're supposed to do greater quality works than Jesus, I'm not sure I'm even in the ballpark. But what if we were to look at this word greater work in maybe a little bit different sense? I'm going to give you four ways that I believe the church has been doing greater works than Jesus for centuries dating back to the earliest disciples, even unto today. Four ways that I believe that we are doing, have done, and are doing greater works than Jesus, uh, the works that he did and greater works. Number one, I believe that we are doing greater works than Jesus geographically. We're doing greater works than Jesus geographically. Pastor John, do you have any idea? I should have asked you this ahead of time. Just feel free to say, I don't know. But do you know how many missionaries you support in different countries? Forty-six countries? Forty-six missionaries? Okay. Forty-six missionaries? And let's just say there's some doubling up. In, so maybe 20 countries. I'm just randomly guessing. Do you know Jesus ministered in one country? Ministered in Israel. And he, he the only time he ever left the... And, and uh, Israel, I, I wish I'd checked its size compared to Massachusetts, but Israel is about the size of New Jersey. I know that. And so Jesus ministered geographically in a pretty small area. And the only time he was ever out of, of Israel was when he was a refugee in Egypt when they were trying to kill him as a baby and his family took him as a young child and he was out in Egypt for a while. But he never ministered outside of, of uh, Israel you guys, you know, every time you give in your tithes and offerings, you're helping to support missionary, 46 missionaries that may be ministering in 20 or more countries. You guys are doing greater works than Jesus geographically. Isn't that something? Now, here's another thing. 
You stop and think about the overall body of Christ because, you know, you're not the only Christian. You aren't the only church. When Jesus said, if you believe in me, so take everybody who believes in him. And, you know, our ministry, what Lisa and I do is a, we, are, we are just a tiny little ministry. But because some new technology and things called the Internet, uh, our website, um, we, because we have resources to help pastors and missionaries be better leaders, our website has um, reached close to a million people and 230-some, I think 238 nations and territories. And, and you help support us, so really uh, you help reach people in 200-and-some nations and territories. So we, the church do greater works than Jesus geographically. Can you embrace that? Secondly, number two, we the church do greater works than Jesus numerically. Numerically. How many people did Jesus minister uh, freedom from condemnation and guilt when he was here on this earth? Well, a good number, thousands, I'm sure. But you know what? You stop and think about today because there's believers all over the world. See, Jesus operated as one man under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's how he ministered. But what happened on the day of Pentecost was 120 people were filled with the same Holy Spirit and equipped for ministry that had filled him. So now there's 120. Let me use this term and don't read something bad into it. Now, on the day of Pentecost, there's 120 little Jesuses running around, all right? I know there's a difference, you know, but, but in other words, they were uh, bearing His image, His nature, His message, His ministry. In that sense, they, they represented Jesus to the world. Is that okay to say it that way? Um, you know, we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And, and on the day of Pentecost, there were 120. You know, Jesus just multiplied himself in all those people. And today, there's literally millions upon millions of, of spirit-filled believers all over the world that are encouraging people, ministering to children, doing all different kinds of things. Now, you say, but what about those really spectacular miracles? Well, you know, there are some people that are absolutely, that's their ministry. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus has given gifts out, that God has distributed gifts out, and there are people who have gifts of healings and miracles. And maybe not every believer operates in those. Now, any believer can pray in faith and see great things happen. But there are some people who specifically have... You, you guys have had Christopher Alam here, haven't you? You know, I've been with a couple of... Uh, uh, with Christopher and a couple of his crusades overseas. And, and they're just the most wild things you've ever seen. Um, I've been with him in Zambia twice. And he'll have 20,000 people out there. They just get their platform up and music, wild funny music and stuff, and, and um, it, Christopher always tries to get me to dance on the platform, and I'm not, I'm not very good at that. So the last crusade, when it was time to dance, I went and hid under the platform. I really did, and uh, he doesn't let me live that down. But anyway, I'm just, I'm just not the dancing guy. I'm rhythmically impaired, just not good. So anyway, that was not one of the works I was prepared for, all right? 
And anyway, but Christopher will preach a 15-minute message, and then he'll say, all right, if you're deaf in one ear, put a finger in, I don't know, good or bad ear, I don't know which one. And, and if you're beside somebody that's totally deaf, you know, sign and tell them what's going on and have them put their fingers in their ears and he'll pray. Fifty people will be healed of deafness immediately. And they'll start coming up and testifying and then people start getting healed of being lame and blind and everything else. And uh, so, but, but that's, that's a, a specific ministry that Christopher has. You don't have to feel bad that you don't do that. You're not called to that ministry, okay? But, but there are people that are doing it. So even, even the spectacular works of Jesus are being repeated around the world. So the fact that you and I may not move in that as a regular, consistent ministry doesn't mean that that's not happening throughout the world and throughout the body of Christ, because it is. Um, so, but, but there's millions of people now doing the works of Jesus. So we're doing the works of Jesus, greater works geographically, and we're doing greater works numerically. And thirdly, we are doing greater works than Jesus spiritually. We're doing greater works than Jesus spiritually. And let me explain that. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that all of us could be forgiven. He was raised from the dead so we could receive justification. Um, and, and so that we could be born again. How many of you know if Jesus didn't die and was raised from the dead, we couldn't be saved? We couldn't be born again. But... For example, Jesus, you remember what he told Nicodemus? He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. But did you know that nobody could be born again until after Jesus was raised from the dead? And did you know that after Jesus was raised from the dead, basically what he was doing was he was telling his disciples, now you need to go tell everybody. Jesus didn't go out and preach to the unsaved and that type of thing. Uh, that was our job. So we, the believers today, ambassadors for Christ, of course, Jesus made it possible on the cross, but we get to do a greater work in that we get to deliver the package, okay? Now, you could have a, a company manufacture the product, and that's wonderful, but if you don't have somebody to deliver it, the the the, the Whatever they built in the factory does no one any good unless the delivery guy takes it and delivers it. So in that sense, you can say the delivery person does the greater work because they, they take it from the plant and actually give it, put it into the home of the person. Uh, so we get to do the greater work in that every time that the church gets somebody born again, they're delivering. We get to do the greater work. Nobody got spirit-filled until after Jesus had been raised from the dead. We, the church, have the commission to get people born again and to get people spirit-filled. In that sense, we are doing greater works spiritually than Jesus did. doesn't mean we're better than Jesus, but we're doing a greater work in that we're taking what He did and we're bringing it into the realm of application in people's lives. All right? Number four. So the first three, we're doing greater works than Jesus geographically. We're doing greater works than Jesus numerically. We're doing greater works than Jesus spiritually. And number four, and finally, we're doing greater works than Jesus in scope. 
we are doing greater works in scope than Jesus did. What does that mean? For example, Jesus blessed children. How many of you know he blessed children? What did that look like? Have you ever thought, Pastor John, what's that look like? And I don't know. Maybe I'm way wrong. Maybe I'm way missing it. But I see these little kids kind of running at Jesus. He was kind of a, you know, charismatic figure to them, something attracted. Um, and, and so these kids are running at Jesus, and the disciples were trying to keep them away. And Jesus said, stop, let the little children come. And so they came up, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I see Pope, you know, Francis, and little kids come up, and he pats them on the head. And is that what it was, or was there, I, I don't know. But whatever Jesus did, the children were blessed. But I don't, I don't picture it being something elaborate or in-depth or drawn out. But you that work with children, uh, you're taking those kids from earliest ages and over 18 years, you're teaching them Bible lessons, curriculum lessons... You're spending way more time in a systematic kind of discipleship that's age-relevant. You're, you're teaching those kids all through the Bible, through you know their children's church, their children's classes and all that. Did you know that what you're doing is greater in scope than what Jesus did when he blessed the children? Because Jesus didn't take them through systematic years and years of you know classroom training and and uh, lessons and coloring and projects and all that. What you're doing with working with children is greater in scope than what Jesus did. Jesus taught people, yes, and he was anointed, and yes, he taught like nobody ever taught. But did you know that Jesus didn't have a full-fledged radio program? Jesus didn't have a television network. Jesus didn't have a website uh, Jesus blessed children, but he didn't run an orphanage. Do you know there's Christian organizations all over the world that are feeding people, um, you know, and, 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 and taking in children and raising them. Jesus blessed children, but he didn't have orphanages and all these type of things. That same pastor friend in California who said uh, that he teaches all of his church members that they are full-time ministers. You remember that one? And some of them put on a painter's outfit, some a nurse and fireman and all that. That same pastor, he has a feeding program out of his church. Actually, he's in San Bernardino. And he's he, their church is two miles from where that terrorist thing took place back in December. You remember the terrorist thing in San Bernardino? And uh, they actually, that church serves their community so thoroughly that when that terrorist thing happened... Uh, everybody that was in the building and, and people with minor injuries, now the critical people they obviously took to the hospitals, but everybody with minor injuries or people that weren't injured at all, they brought all of those people down to this guy's church. And the church took care of them all day. And um, uh, they, they're just a church that really serves their community. But they feed, if I'm not mistaken, they feed around a million people a year. From their church. Well, Jesus fed 5,000 and he fed another time fed 4,000, and that's great, but this church feeds over a million people and they do it all the time. So they're doing greater works 
in scope than what Jesus did. Are you with me? Um, so let me ask you this now. How many, how, how many of you are doing the works of Jesus? All right. How many of you, maybe not individually, but, but together, we as the body of Christ, we're doing greater works than Jesus. All right. So you don't ever have to be embarrassed because you haven't walked on water. Okay. If God wanted you to walk on water, he'd enable you to do that. But probably most of us do better to stay in the boat, literally.